All right, so if you've got one of these, if you would turn to, got one of these? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's toward the end of the, the Bible. It is, uh, there's a table of contents, so you look it up if you want to. That's absolutely appropriate here, 1 Thessalonians 4. So uh, we're going to be looking there. We've been studying in 1 Thessalonians over the last several weeks. We've been looking at God's will for the lives of Christians, people who follow Jesus. And I know many of you here, you've made that commitment. You've stepped across that line and said, I'm all in. Jesus is my Lord. And so for you and for me, we who have said yes to Jesus, his voice is the voice we care the most about. He's like the coach. He's the leader. He's the boss. And we want to know, what does Jesus want me to do in my life? How does he want me to live? Some of you maybe haven't made that commitment yet, and that's great, because every week we pray that there will be people here who are even considering Jesus in their life. And you're maybe thinking about, what would it be like to have him calling the shots in your life? Well, as we've been looking through this, we've been looking at what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? What does he not want me to do? What does he want me to say yes to? What does he want me to say no to? And uh, it's been a fascinating study as we've looked through this. How did 1 Thessalonians make it into the Bible? It was initially a piece of correspondence from a church planter. His name was Paul. Sometimes we call him the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this letter back to a church in the Greek city of Thessalonica. It's a church that he had planted. So he knows these people. He spent time with them. He's the one who taught them about Jesus, and he's the reason they were baptized and started believing in God to begin with. So he writes this letter back to them to remind them of the things that he taught them. Here's what you do, and here's what you don't do as a Christian. Uh, how is it applicable to us? 2,000 years later, we still have the same questions about what does it mean to honor God with our lives? How do I obey God? How do I listen to his voice? So we've been studying for us. Very applicable. Here's the starting point that we're going to go for today. As we start looking at this, it's an idea I think we all would agree with. We all recognize this in our lives. And that is, knowing what is in your future will often change what you do in your present. Okay? I'll give you some examples so you go, oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. When you know something's going to happen, it changes how you live now because you know this is going to eventually happen. How many of you have gone to the beach, and because you knew you were going to go to the beach, you did something different before you went to the beach? Anybody like, oh, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to be wearing a bathing suit for all of humanity to see. I'm going on a diet. Yeah, slim down a little bit. Maybe you hit the gym, tone up the guns a little bit, right? How many, maybe for, you go, you go I don't want to be that pasty tourist on the beach, so I'm going to try to go out and get a little pre-exposure before I hit Florida, and the sun is right here. And so you, like, try to get a little color. Yeah, look at me. It doesn't work. I just go straight from white to red, my poor ginger family. So, But you do. You know you're going to go to the beach. You do some things different ahead of time. Think about this, like students. Where are my students? Okay, so you're, you're hitting crunch time right now, right? you got some tests and papers due and midterms and semester finals. What do you do when you know you've got something like that coming up? Study. Start writing your paper. Now, you may do it the night before, right? Am I right? But you do something differently knowing that there's something coming up. It just everybody does that. We're coming up on the holidays. Thanksgiving. Does anybody else prepare for Thanksgiving like I do? Some of you are saying it would start drinking. No, I don't do that, and you shouldn't either. So if you're preparing for Thanksgiving, though, do you get up in the morning and say, I'm not eating anything until, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to eat the bare minimum so I don't pass out till I get to my first meal because I want to be ready. Some people even, like, they eat ahead of time. They pre-stretch trying to get, because you've got, you got a big meal coming up. You want to be ready for it. So there's something in your future that you do something different in your present. Anybody here, would you just say, I've done, I wish... Maybe I had done things differently in my past because of now I'm in my future. You know, the, yeah, we all do. One guy said I would have taken better care of my knees if I, 
I understand that one. I'll give you another time. I was, um, several years ago, I really wished I had done something different in my present because of my future. I wish I'd just taken a little more time to think about it. I was going down to Carretero, Mexico to teach in a Bible college there for a week. And so we were on a layover in Houston, and I made just a dumb choice. I ate airport food. Yeah, look, I understand. I understand how it looks in retrospect. Like, yeah, dude, you're going to Mexico, home of Mexican food, and you ate airport taquitos? Yeah, I did. In my defense, I understand how it looks, but I was, I was on a five-hour layover, <laughs> and I was bored and hungry. So, yeah, I understand if I thought a little bit more about it, I wouldn't have done that. We landed in Leon, and the, our friends picked us up, and they're like, hey, you guys hungry? Let's get some dinner on the way back to Carretero. So we're like, yeah, sure. And we stopped at the little taqueria, and it was awesome. And I could not finish all my supper. <laughs> Because I didn't think enough back in Houston about what was in my future. We all have these experiences where if we'd known differently about what was coming, we would have changed what we did in the present. I'll give you another example of this. What if you knew you only had a little bit of time left in this life? Your time is short. Maybe you've got 30 days to live and you know it. Would you do anything different? I ran across a great example of this this week. A, a man, young man named Daniel Fleetwood, 32 years old. guy was diagnosed with this rare form of cancer. Uh, and he was not given much time to live. In fact, he passed away this last week. Now, uh, something else you should know about Daniel, he was a hardcore Star Wars fan. Hardcore. Like, not just like, I like Star Wars. He wrote fan fiction. He was really into it. So, let me ask you a question. Is there anything coming up in December that a hardcore Star Wars fan might be interested in? Episode 7, maybe? Daniel made it his goal in life that he would live long enough to see episode 7. His wife was totally, Ashley was totally behind him on this. His doctors were shocked because he actually lived longer than they thought he would. And he attributed to, I'm holding out to see episode 7 before I die. I want to see that. There came a point where Daniel realized he wasn't going to make it. So his wife, Ashley, helped him. Just awesome. They, they reached out to J.J. Abrams, the director of the new Star Wars. He explained the situation. Would you let us see it early? Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill got involved, Stormtrooper Finn got involved, so they, they put in a bid for him, and he got to see the unedited version before he passed away. Because when you know something's in your future, you do things differently in your present, which takes us back to 1 Thessalonians 4. And I think that's exactly what Paul had in mind as he taught the Thessalonians about listening to God's voice. He, he taught them about some things that are in their future, and he says, it's going to change the way you live in the present because these things are coming. I want you to think about these things that are coming, and I want you to change your behavior and the things that you believe because of what you know is coming. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 13, and uh, keep it open because we're going to study through it today. It's kind of another one of those, you might want to write some things down. So let's go ahead and read through the end of the chapter, starting in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those people who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again, and so we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are left, who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and look through here and see what this means. 
Paul started out by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. My translation actually says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's not insulting these friends of his. He's using a very common opening that a teacher or a professor would use to say, I'm about to tell you some stuff that you may not know, so get your pencil out, write this down. It's just a common expression. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I'm going to fill you in on some stuff. And here's what he does. Specifically, specifically Paul teaches about what's going to happen when Jesus returns to the earth. We're getting ready to celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus first coming to the earth as a baby and his 33 years here on the planet. He is coming back again. And Paul says, I want to teach you about what that's like. I want to fill in some of the, the gaps in your knowledge base about what that's going to be like. Something that's in the future specifically. Now, for Paul, in his lifetime, and for the Christians in Thessalonica in Greece, they fully anticipated that Jesus would come back within their lifetime. Every single day, they got up believing this is the day Jesus is going to come back. Now, I believe over time, as Paul got older and older, he kind of came to a realization, maybe Jesus won't come back in my lifetime. But he still said, this is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Here we are 2,000 years later. Jesus still hasn't come back yet. So these are still things that are in our future. Just as in the Old Testament of your Bible, toward the beginning of the Bible, it, there are prophecies there about what was going to happen when Jesus came the first time. These are things now that we have that we can say, I know what it's going to be like when he comes back the second time. And it's some very specific teaching here. And the thing that Paul says here is, he's coming. And it doesn't matter if he comes back in your lifetime or my lifetime, or if we all pass away, we will all participate in the events that take place when Jesus comes back the second time. You don't miss out. You don't get away with something by passing away before it happens because everybody's going to participate. And knowing that should change how you live now. You know what's going to happen in the future. Change your behavior and your beliefs now to reflect that. For one thing, knowing Jesus is going to return should give a lot of people a great deal of hope. It allows us to live with hope right now because of something we know that is going to happen in the future. I'll give you a hint here. If you are a person who tries to read the Bible and study it at home, which I highly encourage, this is like 101 as a Christian. Read your Bible. One of the things very helpful to understanding it is to ask yourself, what did this first mean? What, the people who first heard this as this letter was read in their church or they were reading this on their own, what did they understand it to mean? That really then helps us to understand what it means for us. What did it mean to them? Okay, now what does it mean for us? So I want you to read 13, again, verse 13. I want you to, or just listen to it. And hear it as if it is an answer to a question that somebody else asked. So somebody says, hey, Paul, I've got a question. Here it is, and then Paul writes verse 13, okay? Try to figure out what the question was. Verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. What do you think the question was? What happens to Christians who die before Jesus comes back? A very heartfelt question. You could kind of understand there were probably some people in Thessalonica. Remember where they came from. They grew up, they didn't believe in God, they didn't know about Jesus, they grew up believing that there were a whole bunch of gods, and they went to a temple to worship one of them. The things that we grew up learning about in school that we call Greek mythology, that was just church to them. That was just the way they thought the world was. They grew up believing that when you die, you do fall asleep forever. That's it. There's nothing else. So in their mind, they're trying to wrap their understanding around this new way of seeing the world that Paul has taught them about. God, there's one God, and there's his son, Jesus, and he's coming back. And so what they thought was, 
and then what Paul had to correct the understanding was, okay, if my loved ones who are Christians fall asleep, pass away, I'm never going to see them again because they're just gone, and, or they're somehow going to miss out on something. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, death is not a permanent state. They really did just fall asleep. Everybody who falls asleep in death is going to wake up again. It may temporarily interrupt your relationships, but it's not a permanent thing. The sadness of I miss you and I can't wait to see you again is different than the sadness of I'm just never going to see you again. And for a Christian, Paul is very explicit. You don't in any way miss out on anything by passing away before Jesus comes back. And the difference is hope, a belief that there is something real in your future that you don't have yet. I heard uh, about a guy recently who had that kind of hope, just a very short little video clip. I want you to listen to this and watch this, would you? The magic moment that I had with my grandfather was right after my grandmother died. I wanted to go see him and I knew that he was hurting, but I wasn't sure what kind of state he would be in. And she was his partner 65 years as well as his driver. And I went to see him and said, Grandpa, how are you doing? He said, did you know that for four dollars I can get a shuttle anywhere in the city? I said, like, wow, that's great, Grandpa. He said, well, I went to Salem, went to the grocery store, and went to the woman behind the counter and said, I have this list of things. Could you help me find them? My wife has recently changed her residence to heaven. And I said, Grandpa, man, you always help me see the glasses half full. And he leaned back, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, it's a beautiful glass. That's a guy who gets it. My wife recently changed her citizenship to heaven. It's a person who realizes, you know, I miss you, but I'm going to see you again. Our future resurrection from the dead is an absolute certainty because Jesus himself rose from the dead. Those two are inextricably linked. And because Jesus died and rose from the dead three days later, everyone who believes in him, people who don't even believe in him, will be raised from the dead, but some will be raised to eternal life. That's what we believe in. That's the hope that we have. And it's all going to happen when Jesus comes back. Jesus broke death. It doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't. It's a beautiful glass. I love that picture. Now, you know what we're doing? We're waiting for the day when Jesus comes back, and who knows when it will be. It could be today. It could be any time. We don't know when, but there are some things that we do know. We know, for example, some of the things that are going to happen when Jesus does come back. Starting down in verse 15, we get these really detailed pieces of information that help us paint a picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. So let's go ahead and look through these. I want to give you something really scholarly so you can feel like a rock star Bible scholar the technical word for all the events that happen when Jesus comes back is called the parousia. You can just impress anybody you want to. Just say, oh, you're talking about the parousia. And like, Don't ask me anything else, but I know that word. It's just a Greek word that means arrival, return, appearing. So Jesus, when he comes back, that's the parousia. We're not even going to look through all the verses in the Bible to talk about that because that would take forever. Like Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation. So all of that stuff talks about it, but we got some very specific details we want to get through about the parousia. And so look down in verse 15. It says here, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you, we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I think it's down in verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. First thing you need to know is being dead is not a disadvantage 
when Jesus comes back. Who gets to go first when Jesus comes back? The dead in Christ rise first. You know, if you are awake and alive, and I, some part of me wants to be awake and alive when Jesus comes back, I don't get to go first just because I'm awake and aware and alive when Jesus comes back. The dead in Christ rise first. That's the first thing you understand here as you look at this. And then look in verse 16. What happens next? The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. I believe it's Jesus himself who's going to yell something out when he comes back here. I don't know what it's going to be, but it is a command. Something like, come on, let's go. Out of bed, sleepyhead. I don't know what it will be, but Jesus is going to give some command that the dead will obey and all the dead will rise. And then it says there will be another voice. Go ahead and look in there. Who is the next voice? I think it's verse 16, actually. The voice of the archangel. This is really a specific detail. Do you know there's only two angels named in the Bible? Anybody name them? Michael, Angela? No, Michael and Gabriel, right? Only one angel in the Bible is called an archangel. That would be Michael. So maybe the voice of the archangel is Michael. I don't know. It could be Gabriel who told Mary that she's going to have the Messiah and who told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a baby. I don't know which angel it will be, but an angel will also yell out. Then there's something else that happens. What else is there? A trumpet, a loud trumpet. So we kind of miss the importance or significance of that. I mean, maybe it's a bugle playing reveille. I don't know. In the Old Testament, worship often was preceded by the sound of a trumpet, so it was a sign of festivities beginning, kind of like the last day of school and the bell rings, and you're like, I am out of here. The trumpet is a good sound, especially if you know Jesus. So you've got this, the command of Jesus, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet, and the dead rise. I want you to see something here. It says, where do we meet the Lord? I think it's in, in the air. What else does it say about that? Clouds. I don't know if you've ever caught this before. Clouds are a symbol of God's presence. So we're with the Lord. We're with God right there. Now, there's something important here. He says we meet the Lord in the air. Meet is a great English word, but it misses a little bit of the original meaning. And all I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't get it right. It's just we don't really have a good English word to describe that word meet because it was a very specific word that you would use when dignitaries came to visit your city. The city officials would go out outside the city while the officials and whoever was coming to visit your city, they would meet them outside the city and greet them, and then they would escort them back into the city. And that was that word meet. It was only used for that context. So Paul says, we're going to go meet the Lord in the air. Remember back in September when Pope Francis visited the United States? On September 23rd, Pope Francis visited the White House, and it was great. Back on September 22nd, though, he landed at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, and President Obama and other officials, his family, went to meet the Pope outside the city, and then the next day, they met him, escorted him into the city, met him at the White House. Same idea, which I want you to think about this. I want to challenge your thinking a little bit. I'm not going to give you a definite conclusion on this, but I want you to think about this. If the word means you go out of the city, meet the dignitary, and come back to the city, then what does it mean that we meet the Lord in the air and we're with the Lord forever? Every other usage of the word, you go and you come back. Do you know in the Bible that it describes when Jesus comes back, and he comes back, there'll be this time of judgment, and then it says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Where do you think we're really going to be 
when we're with the Lord forever? I'm not going to answer you. I just want you to think about that. All right. So all these things are going to take place, which then begs a question. Okay, so this is what will happen. When is it going to happen? That's where I want you to go ahead and go into chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says here. This is probably what some other questions the Thessalonians were asking. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read this out of the message paraphrase. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when this is going to happen. You know as well as I do the day of the master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we sure got it made, now we can take it easy, suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. So when's Jesus coming back? We don't know. Which gives us another insight into how we should live. We not only want to live with hope because there's something coming, we want to live with expectation because we don't know when it will be. We know what it is, but we don't know when. So you should just live every day expecting it, aware that it could happen. Truth is, some people are going to be caught off guard when Jesus comes back. There are going to be some people who just weren't looking for it. They weren't expecting it. They're just kind of going through life, doing their thing, and they're just being the boss of their life. And then, boom, Jesus is here. And they're like, what? Where did this come from? I didn't even know you existed. Not that it should be a secret. Just because we don't know when he's coming doesn't mean that we can't tell everybody that he is coming. In fact, isn't that the job number one of a church? Isn't that our mission to connect people to God and each other through Jesus? It shouldn't come as a surprise that Jesus is coming back. Maybe we don't know exactly when it will be, but if you wake up every day realizing he could, and you're always ready for it, telling as many people as you can to get ready for it, I understand some people are just not going to accept it. Some people are just not going to believe it. But it's our job to be ready and to tell people to be ready. Live like Jesus is coming back. Chapter uh, 5, verses 4 through 6. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light, children of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. Sorry, Pat Benatar. We don't belong to the night. So then, let's not be like others who are asleep. Let's be awake and sober. You know, since 9-11, certainly since what happened in Paris Friday night, which, by the way, please pray for peace, pray for God's will. If everybody just did God's will in the world, there wouldn't be any of this garbage. We just need to teach people about Jesus, but just pray for that. But you know how... We're like all on edge and on guard ever since 9-11, since the Madrid, Spain uh, bombings in the train, all that stuff. We just, we got an extra eye out. Well, a few years ago, a conductor for the Pennsylvania Train Transit Authority in Philadelphia was freaked out, found a, uh, an electronic device on one of the tracks near the 30th Street station. It's just like this huge train station in Philadelphia, kind of like our Union Station. And so they're like, understandably, what is this electronic device? And it's broadcasting to another device. What's going on here? So they brought in Homeland Security came in. The FBI swarmed the place. They're all like, we got to get to the bottom of this. Is this a bomb? What's going on here? A, a mechanic, embarrassed and ashamed, but finally stepped forward and said, uh, I know what this is. I installed the transmitter. So was he a terrorist? Was he a disgruntled employee going to bomb a train? No, it was a lot simpler than that. He worked the night shift. And this was a motion-detecting device, and it was transmitting to a receiver in his office, and so he would catch a nap every night. 
And the motion detector would wake him up when his boss was coming, and he could act like he was working the whole time. It's like his early warning device, right? There's no early warning device for when Jesus is going to come back. It's just going to happen. And he's going to come from the east, which a little tidbit, by the way, I don't know if you know this, go to any graveyard. Somebody told me this when I did my very first funeral and, and service. All the graves are laid out facing the east. And the funeral director told me, yeah, we do that because we want everybody to be ready when Jesus comes from the east. Just, there he is. He's going to come, and there's no warning. So live with expectation. Don't be caught off guard. Well, let me wrap this up like Paul did. The first section here in chapter 4, he said, I want you to live with hope. At the very end of that section, in verse 18, he said, here's what I want you to do with this. This is God's will for you. I want you to encourage each other. Death is not the end, and you need to remind each other of this. And there are some of you here today who I'm encouraging you, I hope, because you need to hear this, that we will be reunited with those we love. We need to encourage each other. That is God's will for our church. Take some time. Don't just make a beeline for the front door. Maybe you need to be encouraged. Talk to somebody today. Get a hug from somebody. Or maybe you need to be the one who's encouraging somebody today. This is our job together as a church. We encourage one another. Now we go down to the section here in chapter 5. And Paul says, I want you to be ready and expectant. Jesus is coming back. Be sober. Be alert. Be aware. Be ready. Live with purity. And then he concludes that with the same challenge. Verse 11. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. Connection family, I can say the same thing that Paul could say. I know you're doing this. But hey, keep doing this. This is why we gather every Sunday. It's not just so that we can worship God. That's an important part of what we do, but it's for each other as well. We are here to encourage each other to say, don't give up hope. It's worth it. Whatever sacrifices you're making, it's worth it. This is the will of God for us. Let's pray. Father, as we're learning to listen to your voice and to say, most of all, Jesus, what you want for us, we know that's the best way for us to live our lives. And many times we've been taught the wrong way or we've developed habits and ways of living that just aren't right. Help us to listen to you and to obey you, to live with hope and expectation, to be absolutely ready for whatever day it is that you do return. And we want you to come quickly. We're tired of the garbage that's going on in this world. We want people to, to love each other and, and to love you most of all. And I understand it starts with us. So, Father, please, in our hearts, first of all, we want you to be Lord. And I pray for people here today who are hurting, that you would give them a special uh, comfort and encouragement that only your Holy Spirit can give. But I pray that our family would also be comforting to each other. And I pray if there's anything in our lives that need to change, that today would be the day that it does, that you give us the help and the strength to do that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.